This is Strange Assembly episode 223, once more with... Roy? Still here. Yes, but right once more with Roy. That's what... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's... That, that's definitely something that could be used to fill in the blank. There you go. So that is Roy. I am Chris Stevenson. Also here is Jay Earl. Hello. And this is Strange Assembly, your tabletop and Legend of the Five Rings gaming podcast. Finally, once again. <laughs> finally, finally, we're going to have some Legend of the Five Rings. Yes. So this is our Gen Con 2017 Legend of the Five Rings episode, which may be a bit puzzling to you, because you're thinking to yourself, wasn't Gen Con a month ago? And you're right, but here we are. a month ago? (laughs) Almost. Got about a week or so to go before that's an official anniversary. Yes, but remember, the editing ain't going to do itself tonight. So, (laughs) So, This, This is why you need to train Benjamin better. Yes, well, I, I every once in a while, I ask my wife if, if she would be interested in doing the editing, and she says, sure, I'll just upload it and be done. <laughs> <laughs> so that's one way to approach it. So, The Legend of the Five Rings, the card game, was launched at Gen Con 2017, the, the rebirth of, uh, of Legend of the Five Rings, as it were. And so this episode is about that. This episode is also brought to you by Roy and the Jack Vassal Memorial Fund. That is jackvassal.org, J-A-C-K-V-A-S-E-L dot O-R-G. This is the third time that we have auctioned off an episode of the podcast for the, the Jack Vassal Memorial Fund. The Jack Vassal Fund provides assistance to gamers in need. And so jackfassel.org if you want to to find out more about them. The big fundraiser is on Board Game Geek. Uh, every I think it's in the fall usually. We just had a bit of a delay in this episode happening because uh, Roy wanted to do it as the, the L5R relaunch Gen Con episode. It still was a good idea despite everything that interfered. <laughs> so like I said, we had the launch of Legend of the Five Rings the card game at Gen Con 2017. This is the most recent of Fantasy Flight's living card games. And if you go based on the size of the Gen Con tournaments, the most successful already of Fantasy Flight's living card games. But this is your episode, Roy, so why don't I kick it over to you to introduce L5R. The uh, launch happened on the uh, Thursday that normally launches out Gen Con. And they used the ticketing system again in order to uh, make sure that product was distributed as evenly as possible. And because of that and because of other releases in Fantasy Flight's line, it was definitely one of those sort of destination locations on the, on the show floor. And their line filled up pretty much immediately. And based on the size that Fantasy Flight had for their booth on the floor, that's not not a small feat. The line probably was in the hundreds. 
until, according to the staff, they actually had to start turning people away from the line because they were going to start violating fire codes and having other sorts of issues. But the core sets for Legend of the Five Rings were, were limited to three copies. You can only get tickets, tickets for three at a time. And the uh, tickets that they gave you were, you didn't even have to stay in the line once you got your tickets. They, they were good until the convention center closed on Saturday the next day, which was important because uh, some people actually took those tickets and didn't claim them. And 108 corsets went back up for sale on Saturday. And... When I was there during the floor opening, everybody that came into uh, Fantasy Flight's area basically picked up a corset, and all 108 left immediately. So I think an, a, your assessment of a successful launch is more than accurate. Yeah, and the launch tournament on Thursday, the Kiku Matsuri had... A handful over 700 players in it. Mm -hmm. They sold out immediately when it was half that size. They doubled the size to 704, and that sold out immediately as soon as those tickets were available. I was honestly uh, expecting there to be a little bit more non-attendance, like right? Because if you if you don't have a real ticket to event, you can try to use generics to get in, and I was expecting there to be more people who would have bought a ticket and then decided, oh, I really don't want to spend my Thursday doing this. But I think that there were, was it 14? There were all the 14 people who got in with generics? For the Kiku Matsuri, yes. The 14 uh, standbys were allowed to attend the tournament. Yes, which is, and it's good for me in in that uh, if, if, You've uh, been a listener. You may remember I did not have a real ticket to the uh, Kiku Matsuri going into Gen Con. I had not won that lottery. I was going to be one of the people on the standby tickets. But a loyal listener actually contacted me on the night before the convention and said, Hey, do you still need a ticket for Thursday? And feeling that it would be uh, wrong for Strange Assembly to not have a ticket to uh, the Kiku Matsuri. He provided me with one. So you are the most awesome person, Charles. Thank you very much. Awesome. Yeah, so uh, so I did have my real ticket. I didn't have to worry about the, the standby thing. It's a very casual sort of environment. It was the one core environment. It was assumed that you, right, everyone was literally opening up their box and building the deck right there. We're not really going to spend much time talking strategy here because like, the only other time there's going to be a one-core environment is if you go to one of the launch events, one of the launch parties, which would be happening early in October, the first weekend or right after that, which is when Legend of the Five Rings will be rolling out into friendly local game stores. But I will note, just as an FYI, Fantasy Flight has some suggested deck lists that you can use in the one-core environment. They're terrible. Don't play them. Make your own deck. They're awful. They're not really functional at all. 
<laughs> if if you look at the at the conflict deck that they've suggested and go, why is this card in here? Why is that card not in there? It's probably probably should be in there. Right. So, what were your impressions of getting the first chance to play the end? Like, I don't right. If I'm not mistaken, Mike, who's not on this episode, is uh, an L5R playtester. But if uh-huh. I'm not mistaken, no one who's on this episode is a playtester. So this was the first time for us, like, really playing L5R. Am I correct, everybody? Nobody else is? I didn't get in on the playtest, no. Okay. You have to have a lot of time to do playtesting. I mean, you have, or at least be willing to devote it. It's it's not a throwaway commitment. So I, I honestly, if, if, if Fantasy Flight said, we would love you to playtest, Chris, I wouldn't. I don't have the time. But, right. I mean, it's it's fun, but especially once the real game launches, making time for playing the playtest stuff and playing the real stuff is not feasible in my current life situation. But, for all of us, this is our first time really playing L5R at Gen Con, so what were your impressions of the new version of Legend of the Five Rings, Roy? It's uh, definitely different. The turn structure is completely revamped because it's not a my turn, your turn structure anymore. It's it's like everybody experiences the same phases of the turn at the same time. It's just whoever gets to go first or whoever has priority, if you're that familiar with card games and that level of uh, terminology, that's the thing that goes back and forth between each complete round of play. And then, of course, the cards themselves are mechanically different, too, because there's no gold cost. Honor requirement is no longer a functional term. And it's also, instead of uh, force and chi, it's uh, military strength, political strength. And combat, when you actually get into what they call the conflict phases, it's not all, oh, you lose the conflict and your character is dies and goes away forever, or at least goes to the discard pile. It's just, oh, they, they lost the conflict, they bow, they go home. And, of course, when you if you're either the attacker or the defender, whether you, you won the attack or won the defense, you also still bow and go home. And then you also get the four provinces to attack, but it's not one province gets attacked once and that's it. You can focus in on one province for both of your declared conflicts and because you get two conflicts to declare and your opponent gets two conflicts to declare, four conflicts is kind of the per round limit. Yes, I don't think there's anything in the game right now that lets there be more than four conflicts in a given turn. And frankly, you'd have a hard time finding enough characters to staff up for a third conflict. Yeah, I, mean, I, I found often people were only making one conflict of their own each turn just because they didn't have enough bodies. I mean, maybe that's the one core versus three core, but you just didn't have enough bodies to mount both offenses and still have something for defense. Yeah, I, I suspect when you get to three core, cards that let characters straighten or not bow as a result of conflict resolution seem to be pretty desirable for exactly that reason, so there might be more of that. 
floated mm. out. And then, of course, even when they did the Ask the Designer Q&A on, I'm pretty sure that was Friday, before the usual Fantasy Flight in-flight report, the designers said that they the hardest one of the hardest challenges they had was tweaking the economy to make sure that everything was as even for each of the clans as possible, but also as restricted as possible to make sure that games weren't just basically buy everything, swing with everything for certain clans. So, yeah, having having seven fate per turn, or having seven plate plus whatever holdings you have to adjust your economy is also an important factor on how many characters you're going to be able to play each turn. So what were your thoughts from the weekend, Jay, on the, the game as a whole? I like it. I mean, we've already mentioned a lot of the changes and streamlines, and I think they've all been pretty much for the better. I like now that the basically the provinces come with regions that each province gets to do its own thing, and I quite like that, that you attack, you find out, oh, that's the really good province. Well, that one gets to live. We're going to uh, attack over here next turn instead, and... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. Let's wait a minute. Oh, the Scorpion province triggers every single time I attack it. Well, this is the only time I'm swinging into this one. <laughs> yeah, I, I still feel kind of bad. One of my games, my unicorn opponent did not figure this out. I'm playing Phoenix. The first province she attacked was the one that honors my guy and dishonors your guy, and she went at it every single turn. Oh, sh- and I'm yeah. like, shameful display. Oh, yeah, don't do that against Phoenix. You are helping me so much by letting me honor my guys. Don't do that against anyone, really. I mean, shameful display is strong. That's that's one of the things where I, I feel like shameful display is just the correct void province. Like, yes. I feel like rally the cause is pretty much always the correct play. What's the one that switches the ring and then one that switches the conflict type? And... There are reasons to want to switch the ring, but switching the conflict type can often complete. I mean, it often completely changes the battle. Yeah, it definitely <laughs> make it can definitely make your opponent go whoops. It could be particularly effective in the in the one core environment because there's so many dash characters running around. So you'd have conflicts that were like, I attack with my Atomo Cordier. Oh well, now it's a military conflict. Go home, bowed right you were talking jay about how precious each like getting to participate in a conflict is for a character to have your conflict shut down and your character shut down is rough rough it is those are the water rings by the way the one thing i did not care for is i felt like every single almost every single one of my games went to time and I'm not sure how much of that was just hey this is new and we're figuring out what we're doing and how much is just this how much is just it's one core and is therefore not as fast and how much is just, oh, the game takes forever. So I'm hoping with three cores and with people knowing what they're doing, it's not always going to go to time. Yeah, there were definitely during the tournaments uh, a lot of calls for rules questions and even even everybody in the the judges crew and the flight control, Fantasy Flight's little organized play cadre, we're definitely getting a feel for how the game was supposed to work. And 
I think it's also important when hopefully our listeners open up their Legend of Five Rings core sets for the first time and they grab that learn-to-play guide that Fantasy Flight is making famous and they thumb through and they say, great, and then they reach for the rules reference and then they realize it's not there. Yeah, since they since they constantly update the rules references, and they have in fact already updated the L5R rules reference, the, yeah, there's literally no complete rule book in the single corset, or I mean, well, or, or in any corset. Only it only exists online, which was weird. I get why they're doing it. Like you're going to buy three corsets and you get three copies. You'd get three copies of this rule book that would be immediately out of date anyway. But it was still weird <laughs> opening up and be like, yeah. oh, it's not... I mean, I knew they had talked about it being a living one, but I didn't. I hadn't realized that that meant that there was not even the like the 1.0 version in the box. Yeah, I, I really would have liked, at the very least, the framework events and the flowchart of the, how the turn flows, just because I know myself, at least, when I'm first learning one of these FFG games, I want that page a lot until I get my head around oh, here's an action window for me to do stuff. Here isn't an action window for me to do stuff. Yes, and when you look in the rules reference, that's in the back. I guess it maybe doesn't necessarily matter, but the the rules reference is basically a, a long glossary. There's no introduction of, like, this is the official way to set up the game that's located at the front, and then this is what the turn structure is. I think the rules for how you start the game are under S for setup. And then yes. the all the stuff about the framework, like what the actual, which is what they call the, the, the structure of the turn, it's in Appendix 1, and then Appendix 2 is, I think, elements of a card. So you actually kind of want to, to read the appendices and then the entry under Setup before you read anything else if you're trying to figure things out from the rules reference rather than the learn to play which i mean they you're not intended to learn from the rules reference but when you're the sort who's been playing games long enough you, you one might be tempted to be like i don't look at learn to play rule books i go straight for the real rules that's usually a mistake whenever fantasy flight does these things because they do these not only in living card games but they do these in just normal board games too there's a learn to play rule book and then a rules reference right but as far as the time goes, I, I agree with you, Jay. The rounds, the the games were very much going to time. A lot of that was definitely learning to play and people figuring things out. I suspect that you're right that the three-core environment, the games will move more briskly. And part of it is just that the game is, it takes a bit, right? I think the once the normal tournament stuff is going on, a round is supposed to be 50 minutes, right? I think the uh, designers were saying that most of their plays, when they were in the final phases before release, the most of their games were lasting 35 to 40 minutes. It is not a game where you're going to have like wrap your game up in 20 minutes and then have to sit and wait. At any tournament of any kind of significant size, I th- there's always going to be a bunch of games that go to time. Now, a lot of times, most of the time, I, I in fact, I think the game goes to time and it's clear who's going to win. Like, if you yes. get to time and you've busted one of my provinces and I just have to tag your stronghold, you know, we're kind of done. 
don't know if it's possible for the game to be over after turn one. It's possible for the game to be really like lopsided in probabilities after turn one. Uh, if turn one goes really badly, although I suspect that that will happen less as people get better at turn one and realize how to to play it more, where it's not a big deal if you exit turn one having lost a province. It is a big deal if you exit turn one not having any guys and your opponent is exiting turn one with like two people still left on the table. That's rough. Two people with fate still on them? Yeah, that's that's a bad time. Well, and I think assass- ass- assassin assassin was a assassination. Huge, assassination yeah. was a a huge card over the weekend, and that was part of it. I don't know how much of a meta card that is going to be in the real invi- in the real game. It's got to be less of a meta card than it was in this. But the fact that everybody in this thirty card environment had two assassinations available, and unless your opponent was crane or scorpion, probably the honor loss probably didn't matter at all. Just the ability to, if your opponent actually loaded up on someone on their first turn, and then you assassinated their character, that's that. Because I I did that to other people, and I had that done to me over the course of the weekend, where it's like, well, I don't know if this is a good idea, but I've got a good two-cost character, so let's see if I can go for it. Assassination, game over. When you put that many resources on something that just gets popped, so, I mean, you can roll the dice on that, but it's hard to gamble on your opponent not having a card because you really have the ability to churn through a lot of cards. And, you know, your opponent, it, it's very easy on turn one to just be like, and I'm going to draw five cards. Yeah. Yeah, the, uh, yeah, when I was playing in the casual tournament, the betting honor mechanic was definitely something I wasn't, familiar with, and when you're playing Scorpion, getting dishonored out of the game because you, you chose five too many times was definitely something that was a learning experience. Scorpion is the one that it is most directly a problem against, followed by Crane to get yourself too low. In the one core, like again, which doesn't really matter, like in the one core, there was no such thing as an honor victory. But Dishonor was definitely there. In fact, did the final game of the real tournament on Friday and Saturday end with a Dishonor win? It was very close. It was, I mean, the, the finals on Saturday was Crane versus Scorpion. So there's a lot of honor, uh, honor around. I mean, but there's, like, the air ring is a real thing. It's, it's this, right, you only start at 10 or so. If you end up down four because you've bid highs and then you play an assassination, you're not that many taps with an air ring away from getting dishonored out. Phoenix can be a splash for that too because of their ability to ring manipulate. It makes it more likely that you'll be able to resolve air multiple times in one turn, thus crushing your opponent's hopes and dreams. It seems like, yeah, they definitely wanted to make sure that honor swings were kept to uh, a low number, but during a certain turn, I would say if you were, if your goal was to dishonor your opponent out of the game, uh, your goal was to probably make your opponent lose, I would say, about three honor per turn. And if your goal was to honor, your goal was to probably gain, I would say, four or five honor per turn. And that's definitely different from the way it used to be. I mean, if you think about it mathematically, games are five turns, give or take. 
I mean, it might go faster than that, but I don't know that you can plan a deck thinking you're going to have more than five turns. Because it really is that, I mean, it, it's kind of like in the tournament environment, you're you're kind of talking like 10-minute turns is really what it is. And so, right, you have to gain about 15 honor over the course of the game or make your opponent lose about 10 in order to get to an honor victory. So, I mean, it you start closer for dishonor and your opponent may do things to help you. <laughs> But as far as the overall feel of the game goes, how does this game feel compared to L5R, and how does it just feel overall? Like the two of you have said, the the actual mechanics have the things about it that are related to old L5R are in some ways, I, I guess, like the symbolic and thematic things, right? The fact that you attack specific provinces, that's a, a very old L5R thing. And it's still there. The fact that you have two decks is a very old L5R thing and is still there. And they still, the two decks exist in the same sort of ways. Like one deck generates holdings. I mean, holdings are different, but it generates holdings that go into play. And it primarily exists to generate characters. And then your, and it functions out of the provinces in this way that's unlike decks usually work in card games. And then you have your, what used what you know, in an old Elvira was the Fate deck. And I had to work on that all weekend long. It's a conflict deck, not a Fate deck. You've still got that, and it works like a normal card game hand where you draw cards, and then you play them, and you have a hand, and you play cards out of your hand. I know a lot of, of folks have lamented the change in the rings, and specifically that there's no Enlightenment victory, but the rings are... It cannot be overstated how much more integral to the game the rings are in this version of Legend of the Five Rings. And frankly, honor and dishonor as well. Are you going to dishonor yourself out if your opponent is not playing a dishonor deck? Probably not, but it's always there. Every single turn, there's an honor question. Like, right, there's a reason why you don't just pick five as your card draw every single time because you have to actually think about honor, your honor and your opponent's honor every single game. And you have to think about the rings every single game and you have to think about what the rings are that are sitting there and uh, and how they're available and you interact with all the rings with, with the rings multiple times in a turn. Whereas in old L5R, those were important thematic elements of the game and so that thematic importance carries over but the actual practical importance of the play of the game is is so much higher they did a very good job with those thematic elements and weaving them into the game i really liked the way that they did the political and military conflicts i'll note just up front i've never played game of thrones the card game so i cannot speak as to how it whether it does or does not feel like the the game of thrones lcg but it really gives the the political side of things something more to do again like like basically along with honor and dishonor the political side of things in Rokugan was something that only existed if you chose to make your deck about it in the old game most games there was no such thing as honor or dishonor you know, I was a military deck, you were a military deck, and it, it didn't matter. Or if one of us 
was an honor deck like your honor matters but my honor is basically irrelevant it's just i'm racing against your clock and but this game the political manipulations that go on in the setting of rokugan are present in every single game i think they just did a really good job building that in so i have a a hearty two thumbs up to the new game I think if you're a fan of the old game and the old setting, you will like this one. It's not the same game. It is not. If you want the same game, I mean, you can play with your existing cards and, and that's fine. It's not the same game, but it, it does the feel of the setting and it has the same really thinky card game aspect to it. It does thankfully get rid of, for the most part, get rid of the kind of ludicrously enormous board positions that could sometimes plague uh, old L5R, where, you know, everybody would keep buying guys, but nobody would die until one, maybe there was one big final battle. But uh, uh, the old L5R got better about that, but... You know, like, playing against, like, Naga or Mantis back in the day, where, you know, you started pulling out dice to keep track of your force totals, and you need, like, three or four D10s to really keep track of just how big my army is? That was a while ago. The normal L5R got better about that. They did a better job in the the later years of the game making there actually be more interaction in early battles rather than just swinging back and forth past each other but i i do remember after having not played normal l5r for a little bit then going and and pulling out the siege decks the day of thunder the siege deck and and like there's just so much stuff on the board all at once so much. Now that's that's overkill. That right. That's a four-player game. There's all sorts of special rules. But even just the normal purchasing of cards without something like Naga or Mantis, you'd build up your stack of of holdings. Some of those were just gold producers. Many of them were not. And then if you buy a couple guys a turn, and each player has eight personalities on the table, and most of those personalities have some sort of ability printed on them. It's a lot to keep track of. And that's another thing, right? That That is not present in Fantasy Flight's game because of the inherent characters fading thing. They also got rid of the snowball uh, effects that could plague old L5R, right? You no longer lose production for your provinces being broken. You no longer get your entire army wiped out for losing a battle which was why you had so much swinging back and forth past each other in old L5R, because you better be confident you're going to win to defend, because if you defend and lose, you are done. Yeah. And says Dan. Also, you'd, you'd so often see, like, okay, I'm going to send one loser dude to defend, do a couple actions to get a little attrition in, maybe you kill him, maybe I run away, but he was dead already. Yeah, we're in this. It, it has a, a completely different feel as far as as that goes but i it does have the thinky thing to it i mean i i think it's great if you're looking for the light and simple lcg this is not the one (laughs) for you oh no (laughs) but i think they did a a really good job putting it all all together a a lot of the old fan sites when they were discussing how best to describe the old legend of the five rings card game they would always say that it was one of the most elegant games available on the market. And I think in this version, the LCD version of the game, I think 
with all the interactions and the theme-heavy mechanics, I think they did a good job preserving that sort of elegancy in the game. So there were three tournaments, depending on the word tournament, what you mean by tournament, over the course of the weekend. There was the, the Kiku Matsuri on Thursday. There was the the sort of quote-unquote real tournament on Friday with the Elims on Saturday. And then there was the extremely casual, not really a tournament on Sunday. And and now, at least one of us played in each of those tournaments, but for the, the big ones, Roy, you were really doing coverage of those from up in the in-flight control. So what was the view of how those tournaments went from up there? The Kiku Matsuri event was definitely... It was a 700-person tournament, and it showed because the scheduled start time for the tournament was 1, and I'm pretty sure that they started round 1 somewhere just south of 3 o'clock. And once everything was finally settled, I mean, I'm sure everybody who's been on the uh, internet either for Legend of the Five Rings or for Gen Con has seen the uh, parade of flags that they did for the start of the tournament. And when it came down to the numbers, the Kiku Matsuri had the one oddity where, I don't know if it was we had enough new players that weren't sure about what was going on, or maybe it was about first game jitters, but 145 players actually did not fill out their clan affiliations when <laughs> when they uh when they submitted their uh, deck lists for the tournament so that was definitely not something i was expecting to happen in terms of okay which clan showed up and in how many numbers but uh it between everything everything was pretty well represented i mean there wasn't any sort of lopsidedness between each of the clans but uh just going going down the alphabet there were 84 players who declared for the crab uh 73 crane players dragon ended up with 93 there were 59 players for the lion and 83 for the phoenix uh the scorpion clan was the only one who hit triple digits there were 102 members of the uh, clan of lies and unicorn ended up with uh 65 so nothing that really shows as a big big spike or a big dip but again it was just really strange to have 145 people just kind of either leave it blank or not sure what was going on or anything with that there wasn't a complicated form to fill out either well apparently it was uh not something that a handful of people were prepared to deal with on that one that seems more like willful disregard than uh confusion i that's my there's my take on it. It was it's a half page thing. You had to check some boxes. I mean, it's mm. not difficult. Yeah the uh, the Friday tournament. Where again this the um, the Friday tournament, which is the event that they did not expand seats for. They expanded that one too. Really? I, yeah. I thought they had just expanded the Kiku Matsuri. I think they took that one from like a 128 to a 256. Uh huh. Well, they could have gone larger because, again, the big deal with that tournament was that uh, if you had standby 
general admission tickets and were hoping to get in on Friday's tournament, you were out of luck because not a, not a single ticket for that tournament went unclaimed. Everybody who signed up for Friday's showdown pretty much was there, present, and accounted for. And on this one, there was, and again, I guess maybe the, the peep crowd in Friday's tournament was more serious. There were no deck list that didn't have a declared clan on that one and the breakdowns worked worked through again there were 30 members of the crab clan and also 30 members of the crane clan dragon showed up with 41 i think the only significant thing was that the lion clan only had 17 players in friday's events and phoenix had 27 uh, Scorpion ended up strangely with the largest number again at 44 and there were 31 members of the Unicorn Clan and when it came out to the Day 2 results for people making the cut to Day 2 we had uh, 5 members of the Crab 4 with the Crane, 4 with the Dragon 5 members of the Lion Clan made it to Day 2 5 members of the Phoenix Phoenix Clan, and then seven for Scorpion, and then two for Unicorn. So, it, in terms of people making the cut to day two, it was definitely more evenly keeled, depending on who showed up. And for those those long-time uh, Strange Assembly readers out there, no, I'm not doing tournament statistics for the one-core environment. It's meaningless. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I also don't think it's something that uh, Fantasy Flight's organized play is going to take a large take a large ownership of of you know which clan shows up more, unless for whatever reason they decide to care about it because we already know they did a little aside for the Friday tournament, like which clan was ending the game with the most honor. So unless it's going to be like some sort of uh, story factor, I don't think organized play is going to weigh too heavily on clan attendance or clan performance or anything like that. Well, I think that I think in game design they will attend to that. I mean, it's from a game design standpoint. If they're again, th- this doesn't matter really because it's not. You know, because it's not a real thing. But if you, if a year from now, let's say you have one clan that is consistently having three times the attendance of another clan, that might be a signal that there's something either power level problematic about the the clan that has nobody showing up, or unappealing about them from a, a of how they've been presented setting perspective. I mean, just like a, you know, you. You want all of your factions to have their fans. They're never going to be perfectly even, but you want all your factions to have their fans from a marketing perspective. And from a game design perspective, you want all of those factions to be at least moderately playable. It takes a while for that kind of thing to trickle down, though, because of the design cycle. Yeah, playable is definitely the right word on that one because everybody wants to represent the clan that they identify with because clan identification is definitely one of the hooks of Legend of the Five Rings, but if you're going to show up to a tournament knowing that you're probably not going to succeed, then design is definitely slipped up at some point. Yeah, so I played in all three of the tournaments, or at least part of all three of the tournaments. 
the Kiku Matsuri, yeah, the the first round finished at 4:20 after what was supposed to be a a noon start time. Like the way that they list them, it had a noon start time, which meant yeah that they intended for the everything to get going at what one. And then the second round finished two hours after the first round. So I, the reason I had my strongly worded notice about how the the pre-built decks are terrible is because they were really insistent at the beginning of the Kiku Matsuri. You really should try out the suggested decks. And I, I think they're really designed to like give a lot of coverage of all the different cards and make sure to hit all the different provinces and, and such like that. And so I'm yeah. like, okay, I wasn't going to play with the suggested deck list, but you guys are saying we should do that. So I played with the suggested deck list, and that was a terrible, terrible decision. Terrible decision. Yeah, I feel like the suggested deck lists were put together in a way that you're supposed to get maximum number of decks made out of a single core. You can make one deck out of a single core. I thought there were a couple ways you could get two decks out of the core... Or was I mistaken in that? I did not think it was possible to actually make two 30-30 decks out of the core. Because you run out of dynasty cards, I I thought. Uh, Right. This game, it's not playable out of one core. No. Unlike, I, I can't speak about, you know, say Game of Thrones or some of the other things, but like, Netrunner is playable out of a core. You have the ability to make decks in a one core environment and to shift and, and to like play two um, real decks against each other. I mean, are they tuned? No, but the fact that there is such a spread of factions and such constraint in the dynasty decks and because you have to have so many cards in your deck, right? You have effectively an 86 card deck give or take minimum if you're making a real deck because you got a dynasty deck and a conflict deck and five provinces and your stronghold you know that's much more than putting together you know effectively a 46 card deck like here's my 45 card deck and a and, a, and an identity card it just makes it much harder in in the single in a single box to make two decks like yeah right literally you can't even make two 30 30 decks i don't think and you certainly can't make two real legal decks half of your dynasty deck is is identical because it's just the neutrals that just kind of is what it is on the bright side while you need to play three core sets to have everything there's not much waste when you go through three core sets right by the time you've bought three core sets you have exactly a full play set of everything that's clan aligned and for almost all of the cards i think you have exactly two play sets of the neutral cards so if you have three core sets, that gives you the ability to do, as long as you don't overlap on the influence or the clan alignments, you can do pretty much whatever you want in making two decks. Either like, I want to have two decks on hand, or decks to play against each other, and you don't have just a bunch of, of extra things, right? That was the painful thing with Netrunner, was because right you bought two netrunner core sets and what was it you made there was maybe six cards you didn't have a play set of so you had to decide well do i want to buy a third core set to get those six cards yeah and i I seem to recall one of them like you needed for a specific deck if you really wanted to play that deck competitively too so really you were just buying the third core for that one card and i guess that's kind of interesting and that you know fantasy flight sometimes talks about how many how uh, what high a portion of their 
corset sales of these games come from people who only ever buy the one corset and just play it as a casual thing. And I wonder how that will shake out for L5R when just the the nature of the decks in the games and the faction alignment seem to me to make a one core set. Not I make a deck out of one core set, but I'm trying to make two decks to play against each other out of one core set much less, I think just much, much less interesting. I think if you're going to play casually on like one core set is okay for just for just you. But if you want to show off the game to others, like, oh, you should try out this game. This is a really fun game. One Corsa is not going to be able to adequately showcase what what you like about Legend of the Five Rings. Yeah, now I think if you have two Corsets, that will let you play around casually with two decks. Because, again, because of the way the faction works, it just it very quickly gets more robust once you add in the more cards, because now each clan, you, you've got mo- the, the, most of your deck is now, of your, even your dynasty deck is the in-faction cards. You can just get rid of things like, I know it lets you play Cloud the Mind or something, but man, I, Mia Mystic, that's really expensive just to blow up the attachments in the one course. That, like Every once in a while you get a good hit, but there's a lot of like, I will pop my Mia Mystic to your free attachment. Mia Mystic for Fine Katana is not an exciting trade. It is an exciting trade for above question, but other than that, no. (laughs) And, you know, the Mia Mystic can do other things. You can attack, you can use the Mia Mystic in a conflict, and then pop it. And it lets you play Cloud the Mind. But still, there's there's definitely things you're happy to get rid of pretty quickly. But with two core sets, you have a lot more room to play with. A lot of room, relatively speaking, to play with on the conflict side, too. So with two corsets, I think you have the ability to have it be, well, I have two corsets, so now I can break this game out with a buddy, and we can really play right? in a way that you can't do with one. So for me, I played in all three tournaments, and I played three rounds of the Kiku Matsuri, and then it was like 8 o'clock, and I went to get dinner. Especially since I knew that, I, I mean, my deck was hopeless. So, Friday, Jay and others got to listen to me whine because, as you know, if you've listened to the to episode 222, which was the non-Legend of the Five Rings Gen Con stuff, I was scheduled to play in the big Pathfinder event on Friday night. And as originally scheduled, in theory, the Friday tournament should have been done in time for that. Yeah, I, I fell for that too. Don't don't feel that bad. Yeah. So, and instead, right, I played four rounds and I had to decide after after four rounds if I wanted I was 3-1 after four rounds, right? I was one win away from getting the whatever the promo stronghold was which seems reasonably likely with three rounds left. But I had been, I mean, I had been looking forward for a long time to playing in that Pathfinder thing too. And it was just very frustrating that I had, I mean, I had two things that I really wanted to do and that I was signed up for because they weren't really supposed to overlap. And I think on Friday, it was like 11. Somebody said they got, you guys, like things wrapped up on Friday night. 11. 
I, I think the officially listed finish time for that event was like 7. The way it worked out is that 11 o'clock was when the final round got started. Oh, Lord. Yeah, the poor guys in flight crew had a, a long night ahead of them. When I finally got the uh, all the information that I was uh, going for, but uh, I'm not... I think half of it was the size of the event was causing a lot of uh, delays for everything. And the other half of it was like, this was their first time running a brand new game. So things just really, really just got get snowballed out of control for them very, very quickly. And personal feeling aside, when I was up in the flight crew, when they would announce the end of the round, sometimes they wouldn't get all the, all the match slips up for the round that they declared over for like 40, 40 minutes afterwards. It was, I remember put going into old man mode. I remember when, if you didn't have your match results up five minutes after time was called, you got a double loss, but they didn't want to have that sort of onus on the opening events for the, for the game. I think so they kind of let people take their time and do things. And the whole double loss thing after five minutes doesn't work with their current end-of-round procedures. But no, yeah, you're right. I mean, we... When I I was running... You know, I ran Kote uh, in L5R up through the... through when the, the game wrapped up. And, yeah, I mean, it was... You had to be like, look, the round is 45 minutes long. The round is over at 45 minutes. 45 minutes does not mean now is the time to start, like, in that game... Finishing your last turn, it is not the time to start figuring out who you think is going to win or not. We're going to call the buzzer at 45 minutes, and, and like you said, and, and five minutes after that, I want a match slip. You cannot tolerate whatever the slowest people are in the room taking another 15 minutes and, and that one game slowing everyone down. But yeah, I, I remember on, on Friday, again, I was very aware of it because I was you know, mildly grumpy about having to make this decision between the, like, it's first world problems. I have two awesome things to, to choose from. But I, I remember, like, I like finishing a game and then waiting around and then going out to my car and, like, dropping some stuff off and picking stuff off and then coming back and then going into the dealer hall and buying some stuff and then coming back. And, like, they, and they had, like, just put up the pairings for the next round. It went a bit. I mean, honestly, I I feel like Fantasy Flight should give them the week off after Gen Con. Like, the whole week. I think they get a day off after Gen Con. I feel like they should get the whole week off after Gen Con. <laughs> and I mean, because was, it was long to play, to long to work. If you were working up in Flight Control, uh, they were up till midnight. Past midnight, I think, on Thursday. Past midnight on Friday. At least the L5R stuff would have wrapped up earlier than that on Saturday. Yeah. So, I had two, at least two other things to hit on. But Jay, did you want to talk about anything more directly about the the games that you played or your experience at the tournaments? I mean, I'll talk briefly. I at this point between Gen Con and PAX, my brain's a little fried. I'm not even. Sure, I remember all of the games I played. I mean, yeah, I had the problem. I did the Kiku the Kitsumuri and 
I did not get in the first wave of that, so I scheduled something for like four that afternoon and then got in the second wave of that, so I didn't actually get to... I wanted to go do my thing, so I, I... Because it started so late, I didn't actually get to play in any of rounds of that. And like you, I thought, oh, this the, the Friday tournament's going to be over by 7. I'll, I, I will schedule something for 8.30. That'll give me time to go grab some dinner after. So, But I wanted to do that, too. So similarly, I did not play the full Friday. What I did play was a lot of fun. As I said, all my games went to time. I distinctly remember playing a game against a Scorpion player that ended with him at two honor and me at one, if I remember correctly, <laughs> when time was called. Also, I still feel kind of bad at that about that unicorn player that just kept attacking and letting me honor again and again, and did not. she did not quite seem to understand why she was not making any progress. Also, I seem to recall crab hitting fairly hard, so that was less than fun, but <laughs> that's what they do. It's kind of weird. I There's all these little strategic-y things I want to talk about that are specific to Gen Con and that I was thinking would be a little bit more useful, but the one core set environment kind of like ce- it ceases to exist after the launch party, which is not yeah. a tournament. <laughs> no. And it's, it's but, not really... I mean, I, I would say it is generic advice that if you keep attacking the same province and it's not not working, maybe try a different province next time. I know that there were games where I swung into the same province like three times, but that's because I had it had a win-revealed ability, and by God, I'm just going to keep going after that one. I, well, no, yeah, if it's a win-revealed, but if it's yeah. something like that where it's an action, every single time you attack that, you're giving me some bonus maybe lay off that province for a bit. That one is one of the most powerful, if not the yes. most powerful action. The one that steals fate, not shabby either. No. Although remarkably, that one just seems to attract fate-free people probing into it. Well, yes, that <laughs> can be. there. Well, there are, you know, there are certain ones that are more or less impressive depending on the circumstances. Right, rally the cause, the the one that switches the conflict type, and and the one that switches elements can be. Th- those can be a big deal or no deal. I, I seem to recall one game I was trying out the switch ring since I'm Phoenix and I care about rings. I flip it and I'm like, but you've already picked the ring I want you to be attacking me on anyway. <laughs> yeah, I'm thinking little things like oh. This dragon event, you don't want to play that in this environment. You'll never trigger it. Don't worry about it. Just just, just switch, switch it out. Mantra of fire, don't play with that. But, you know, again, it ceases to matter. Oh, well. So, I guess my final random things within the... One is within the tournament milieu, which is the tiebreaker rules. They need new tiebreaker rules. That's one. Because the tiebreaker rules that they have don't work with the rules of the game. So that was a little hiccup on Friday. So for everyone who was confused about the fact that the start of game procedures changed on Friday, my apologies, that's my fault. Because I asked them about that, and that was the way that they resolved it, was to, to change that to, so that the tiebreaker rules worked. But it's, it's supposed to be whoever goes first is random. And the tiebreaker rules rely on randomly determining who gets to choose who goes first. Oops. 
Right. You, you roll your starting character dice, and whoever gets the biggest number gets to choose who gets the battlefield and who gets two shields. That's this game, right? Um, crud. <laughs> I don't know. I've never. I, I still haven't played that one. Yeah, I still kind of want to, but I can't. No, I cannot buy. Cannot buy. A, no, no. Push, wrong. We've got a new two-player Force Friday starter set. Yeah, I saw it. Oh my goodness, <laughs> that thing! Ugh. I was so hoping that box was going to be like a useful storage solution for the dice, at the very least. And no, it's just this molded plastic thing that fits exactly the the sixteen die they give you, and it holds nothing else. Well, that that makes sense if you're selling it in Target. It's designed to be something that theoretically you can keep as just that, but I wouldn't even let myself buy that. I, I can't even let myself buy and you, anything of no. I you you resisted well. Good job. I can't yeah. let myself start. <laughs> Burn those willpower points to. I'm actually okay with the overall framework of the tiebreaker thing. In my ideal universe, there would be a tiebreaker that did not involve finishing the turn or did not involve the possibility of finishing the turn because that can take a while, uh, right? Because you're you're kind of inherently taking the two pe- uh, people, at least two of them, who are not getting the games done quickly and giving them the opportunity to play an entire other turn, which could easily be 15 minutes. I don't know if that's avoidable, though. The first step of the tiebreaker should just be checking to see who has a, if if somebody's got a big enough tiebreaker score and just ending it right there if it uh if it is that should be the first step but that needed some tweaking but i think that the i think that it made sense overall the way that it balanced the number of provinces that have been taken and kind of giving people the option to like okay well i'm not losing that badly but i can just here's a little encouragement to just scoop and be done. Have you noted that they they also did old L5R? People would often roll off, and they clearly did not like that, so that was prohibited explicitly. And so rolling off, you didn't play old classic L5R, right? If there was a tie, it was a double loss. So if people couldn't agree on who was going to win the game, a lot of times people would roll, and whoever gets the higher roll would win the game, because that way at least one of the two players would win. Fantasy Flight did not like that. I think I mentioned this on the the community boards. I actually had one game where my opponent at the start of the game offered to give me promos in exchange for conceding, and I pointed out that that was kind of bribery, and he's like, well, they haven't written floor rules yet, so there's nothing prohibiting it. Lordy. (laughs) Actually, that was probably a a bad move on his part because Fantasy Flight actually does have a general tournament rules document, and yeah, that actually falls under one of their clauses for collusion. Ah, uh-huh. I I did not realize they had a general one. I was just like, you know what? I I think we could assume that this is against the game. <laughs> this is against yeah, the rules. I'm, I'm not going to be able to spare any more provinces like I did like I did last time by saying, "Hey, spare the province and I'll give I'll give you the, I'll give you the win for story for story related purposes." Yeah, not unless they make an some sort of exception. There was yeah, anyhow. So but my final thing was that uh so there was the, as you mentioned, Roy, earlier, there was the L5R design panel on Friday morning. And I don't want to go over everything there because there were multiple people who were filming it and streaming it live. So if you really want every single thing that they said, that's really a better way to get that. But I, I thought 
a, a couple of interesting things that stood out to me for somebody who doesn't want to sit through the whole thing was that they emphasized the visual nature of how you put the five rings in between the two players and that they were like kind of like trying that. I think it was the story was basically they were trying that out, and you know somebody walked in and be like, "That looks awesome. What's going on there?" And that and that kind of solidified, helped solidify that that's the way that it was done. They referenced how you had they have to pay extra attention to the art sometimes for this, and one of the particular things was that unlike with a lot of games, they don't have the ability to just automatically mirror image a card because of the way that like the katana is supposed to be on a certain side of the body and the kimono is supposed to be done in a certain way with which side is on top or which was on the bottom. And I also noted that they they talked about how the flavor text is dialogue focused, that they're not aiming to have a lot of flavor text that's sort of like encyclopedia entries or or just a description of what's going on, but it's going to be quotes from people to try to convey that same thing and to try to convey the emotion of what's going on and then finally they also talk uh, like they're, they're, they're asking about the time frame of the game and so they had already said before that right the game is not a strict story progression so things do not necessarily happen in chronological order in the story uh, but what I had kind of read, what they originally had, was it was it was sort of the possibility of them going anywhere in Rokugan, hist- Rokugani history to do sets. So you could have some, oh, like here's a, a dynasty cycle that's got stuff from Dawn of the Empire or something like that. And obviously they could still do that if they wanted, but it, it I, I think based on what they said at the event, the or at the designer panel, like, right, the game is a representation of a particular period of time. So it's not limited by the way that the story progression war- goes, but that the card game cards are still going to be depicting the same general time frame rather than you know, I don't know how broad a time frame that is exactly instead of having uh, you know, things that are uh things that are hundreds of years ago. Oh, and then and L5R is not one of the launch Genesis settings. But we learned that from... Jay learned that from the in-flight report. You were our reporter at the in-flight report, Jay. I think I think both of you were at the in-flight report, actually. Yeah, I was there, too. Yeah, the uh, Genesis system... It was odd how they low-key revealed that, but apparently the first two source books for that system are going to be the Android universe. Hooray for all you Netrunner fans. And they're going to also do their Runebound setting. Terranoth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There has been an L5R board game announced, but it was announced after Gen Con. It's one of those weird things. I It's sort of like, oh, they announced a new L5R board game. Well, I could read in detail what it's about, but let's face it, I'm going to buy it, so... Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I'm going to buy it, and it's not going to be out for a year or three anyway, so why get my hopes up now? <laughs> yeah, it's Battle for Rokugan. That is not coming out in a year or three. No, but it feels like it. It's been a long two years to wait, hasn't it? It has. <laughs> I think that was then all All I had from L5R for Gen Con. I am very uh, excited to hit my, my local shops. There is a Northern Virginia L5R group on Facebook, so it's it's made it easier to hit up the things and 
I think just in Northern Virginia, not counting like the Maryland or DC stuff, I, there's at least three places, maybe four that are doing launch events, and I should be able to go to at least two of them. But I am uh, highly looking forward to early October when everyone will have real cards. Real cards! But did you, either of you have any final thoughts on the launch of Legend of the Five Rings? Yeah, I definitely want to give a lot of thanks to everyone who made special efforts to have this episode come to pass. That includes everybody in Fantasy Flight's flight crew. And we also want to give a special thanks to uh, the press staff for Gen Con, and in particular, someone, uh, Stacy Stacia Kerp, I think it's Stacia? Stacia, yes. yeah. Yeah, Stacia, who actually took the time to get on the phone with me to help out with the application process. And it was great because I was kind of worried I wasn't going to be able to convince her that, you know, I'm trying to do something press-related, but all I had to do was point her to the Jack Fast Memorial Fund website, and three days later, I was got a notification that, oh, here's your press pass. And having your first Gen Con experience be on a press pass is something that when we talk about our gamers and charity efforts from being a gamer, it's always wonderful when companies mirror our efforts in order to be charitable. And, I mean, if you want to talk about a charitable effort on Saturday when I was watching the Fantasy Flight booth get rid of their last 108 core sets of Legend of the Five Rings, I was just talking talking it over how fast they went over with the uh, sales crew. And then all of a sudden, this guy walks over, and I recognize him immediately because he's the boss. He, he's actually Chris Peterson, and he actually takes the time out of his schedule to come talk to me and find out what was going on with the, with the game that he was selling and have a conversation about how he was hopeful that the launch was going to be successful and everything. And it was nice to have have him just sort of talk to me about what he wanted out of the game to listen to me about what I saw was going on with the release of the game. And it was just extremely charitable of him to take time out of his schedule to do that. Yeah, he is he is kind of like the king of games of North America these days. Yeah, definitely something that we can classify as a very important person. <laughs> and then uh, lastly, I want to give a, give a thanks to the people actually in Gen Con's press room who were able to help out with all of the acclamations to uh, getting getting started with uh, Gen Con in the first day. Because I would have been had to, had to have been in three different places at, at the same time in order to make the day one activity successful, but they were able to help me out on that one too. And then, of course, we also want to 
I also want to take this time to thank you, Chris, for doing the charity auction itself, because while I'm always of the opinion that one should try to make as little of a nuisance of themselves as possible and have your third auction be taken by someone who already had one, it's still very generous of you to allow something like that to happen. Well, you should know by now that we are big on on nuisance at Strange Assembly. After all, I make Jay listen to me how many hours? Of, I mean, you know, poor guy. Uh, I was going to say, why else are you keeping me around if not to be a nuisance? I don't understand. <laughs> Sidebar squeak. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so to everybody who helped make this one single individual's very first Gen Con experience, something that can never be repeated ever again. You have my deepest thanks again. Well, I'd say you're welcome, but I feel like I did relatively nothing compared to all the other people you listed, so... Only time and effort, Chris. Only time and effort. <laughs> well, and of course, thank you, because you, I mean, you, you were the one who participated on the other end of the charity auction. I just hope that it's it's a start of a, yet another excellent uh, living card game for uh, Fantasy Flight, and I hope they will be able to not only re-welcome all of the old Legend of the Five Rings players, but also introduce many new players into the setting where your actions have consequences and your actions matter. Oh, that's right. There was a ter- there was a story result. We didn't talk about the story result. Or the Keeper and Secret things. Keeper's really good. They changed the rules already so that they can't just have everybody pick Keeper again, like happened <laughs> at the Gen Con event. Uh, and the Phoenix are sharing, and the Unicorn are being required to share how to do Meishoto rather than being banned. I think those were the, the main consequences. My clan got a Keeper. That's really the important thing. I get to play Keeper of the Void now. Hopefully I'll continue getting to play a, a, a keeper i really like the keeper the keeper initiate's really good <laughs> yeah I, that's that's why i'm kind of jealous i like my seeker because i like both of my void provinces but yeah i'm kind of jealous that the the keeper initiative is much better than the seeker initiate yeah you do have two really good void provinces to choose from yeah oh so what any final thoughts out of you jay I am just really excited to play three core and play real games finally. Because yeah, with when with the launch, there will actually be people to play against, and I I'm very much excited for that. I've already put together the deck, and it seems silly. We'll see what happens though. Yeah, any three core deck just seems bonkers after one core. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder if that's how most people view the launch. I mean, if you managed to get your core sets, it was a successful launch, but. If you were one of the people who were left out in the cold, then it was one of the worst launches ever. We saw this with Arkham Horror last year, that there were some availability issues. I hope that that will not be a problem here. I hope it's I hope it gluts the market. Yes. I hope that like everybody who wants an L5R can get one. That's my hope. Yes, be Empire at War, don't be Awakenings. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, again with the destiny. Does this look like a Star Wars episode, Jay? I may need to get my eyes checked. Hold on. <laughs> so I, again, thanks to Fantasy Flight for I don't know making such a a, a bloody good uh, remake of our favorite game ever. Uh, again, thanks to 
Roy for kicking in for the charity auction for uh, this episode of Strange Assembly. If you keep your eyes peeled on Board Game Geek, we I, it's my intent to have this up again next time around. So if you want to make us dance as your puppets, you'll have the option to, to bid on that. Not that much later this year, if I recall correctly. We have a couple of months to go. There you go. The charity, again, is the Jack Vassal Memorial Fund, and the website is jackvassal.org, so J-A-C-K-V-A-S-E-L dot O-R-G. But uh, you have been listening to Strange Assembly, your tabletop gaming podcast. You can find us on the web at www.strangeassembly.com. You can hit us up on the usual social media haunts. We're facebook.com slash strangeassembly and strangeassembly on Twitter. You can subscribe to this podcast on our website or in the Apple Podcast app or in Google Play Music. If you go on the website, you have the option of subscribing to only the L5R content or only the non-L5R content in addition to the deluxe feed that is available through the uh, app services. I always like to hear from you with your uh, comments, be they positive or negative. You can reach me at chris at strangeassembly.com. But until then, for Roy and Jay, I'm Chris Stevenson, and this is Strange Assembly. Never stop gaming. Bunnies, bunnies, it must be bunnies. Or maybe ratlings. Thank you, Anya. I remember that episode. That was great. <laughs> Once more it with was. feeling. Exactly. And a, and, and a reference back to the more? title. Yes, exactly. You get it. <laughs> Brilliant. Brilliant.